The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we bring in the words of the Apostle Timothy to help us as we close out our study on the book of James. The final ingredients for how to win at life are revealed. Although wealth can be a burden, it is also an opportunity, and prayer has the power to transform everything. As we wrap up James, we talk about how to apply the lessons we've covered in the daily routine of our lives. We might look at 1 Timothy 6 real quick. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. This description of rich people we got in chapter 5, 1 through 6, it's pretty haughty, right? I'm rich. I am entitled to be this way. And I'm going to use my position to abuse other people. Well, we can do that. That's a choice God has given us to do, right? That's an action we can take. It's a perspective we can have. And we can trust in riches. So there's three things we can control with riches. We can trust the riches. We can have a perspective that we are special and, and that we deserve to be treated better than others. And then we can take actions accordingly. That's one way we can do things. And he says in 1 Timothy 6.17, don't do that. But rather trust in the living God. Okay, And we, we got this in chapter 1, right? Don't trust, if you're rich, which all of us are, right? It's, uh, if you're an American, you're in the top 1% of uh, wealthiest people in the world, and unless you're like in the bottom 15 or 20% of America, in which case you're top 10%. Okay? So he says, no, trust in the living God. And chapter 1 told us if we are rich, we should glory in our humiliation because we're in a very dangerous place. Because we're tempted every day to trust in our own capabilities, to trust in our own wealth. So no, but don't do that. Trust in God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. One of the verses about rich man, come now you rich, rich man, it shows up a ton in the New Testament. And the Gospels seem to really like the one about harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That shows up multiple times. Because it's such a burden to have great wealth. The normal outcome of having great wealth is to use it to say, I'm better than other people, and to abuse that position. That's normal. So it's a real difficult thing. So the, this, the disciples said to Jesus, well, then who can, who can get in? And God said, well, nothing's impossible with God. So the perspective we should have about being Americans is, man, we're in a tight spot. This is going to be hard. This is going to be really difficult. I can't do this on my own. I am going to trust riches, and I'm going to end up one of these people unless I totally depend on God. And I'm, I'm going to glory in my humiliation because he's given me a tremendous trial. So that's a perspective he invites us to have. You know, our tendency is to say, verse 5 there, live on the earth in pleasure and luxury. Okay, I I've, I've have all this money. What I should do now is make myself comfortable. Another one of the rich man stories that's in the Bible is the guy that builds the barns. And he says, uh, man, i got all this money. What am I going to do? I'm just going to pile it all up, and I'm going to live the good life. I'm not going to help anybody anymore, and I'm not going to work anymore. And that night, his soul is required on him. 
the, the implication is the judge comes and says, well, I gave you all these capabilities. What did you do with it? I served myself. Okay, well, that's not very good. That's not good enough. So it's a tough perspective to have for people like us. Who here likes comfort? Raise your hand if you like comfort. Everyone should be raising your hand. I like comfort, okay. Would you rather be comfortable or uncomfortable? And how hard is it to say, I could be comfortable, but I'm going to deliberately steer myself into discomfort because that's what God's called me to do. That's hard. I mean, when you're on the other end of the spectrum and all you can do is trust in God, then that's the only option you have or, or just, uh, you know, to go into total rebellion, you know, uh, uh, non-reality, that's not as hard to trust, which is what James has been telling us all through his uh, chapter here. So have this perspective. The judge is at hand. If God's given you something that's blessed you, it's fine to make yourself comfortable with that in part. It was, I, I got halfway through 1, Corinthians, um, 1 Timothy 6.17. Trust in God who has given us richly all things to enjoy. So should we, because we're wealthy, enjoy what God has given us? Absolutely. When you observe people with immense wealth, uh, or at least the perception of immense wealth, the ones that are well publicized anyway, does it seem like they're really enjoying themselves? I, you know, we get mostly the stories in the tabloids of the people that mo- want fame more than they want wealth, I think. It's not a good sampling. But it seems that those people use their wealth to so set their hair on fire the most and get the most attention. Like, oh, well, they did that self-destruction? Wait, and you tell you, see, I do what self-destruction I do to myself. It certainly doesn't seem like they're enjoying themselves, does it? Well, if you have something that you have that your material possessions is causing you not to, rejo- not to enjoy, get rid of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter if somebody else has it. Just get rid of it. If, it's, if you're not enjoying it, get rid of it. If you have the ability to enjoy something, then do it. One of the uh, things the rabbis say is that we'll have to give an account for every pleasure we could have had and didn't. Now, we're, we're talking about good pleasures here. You know, there's beauty all around us every day. I, the clouds out here are just amazing. Do you notice them? Just the reality about what's happening around us, all the, the, the fact that we can talk and live and the, the fact that humans are what they are, it's amazing. And do you stop and, and just reflect on how astounding it is that we're alive from time to time? There's enjoyment all around. Make sure you have it. That's what we're asked to do. What we tend to do is say, well, I'm a rich American, but I'm not a super rich American. So I may be rich compared to everybody else in the world, but I don't see everybody else in the world, so that doesn't count. So what I see is that you have more money than I do, and that really ticks me off. Okay? That's, that's more of our normal bent. Well, don't have that. So then within our own small group, what we tend to do is use condemnation. I want to deal with this. Let me do the last thing I wanted to make, and I'll come back and finish up with what time I have with condemnation. The prayer of faith will save the sick. So this verse 15, will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for another that you may be healed. This is good here that they said save the sick. That's the proper translation because this is the Greek word sozo. And so it will deliver the sick. Deliver them from what? The prayer of faith will deliver the sick from something. The person will be raised up. You could translate that made whole, will be made whole. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Now confess your trespasses to one another that you may be healed. That's actually the heal word. So the first one's deliver. You'll be delivered. Second one's you'll be healed. So what I get from this is that, you know, sin creates really negative consequences. 
Have you noticed? Worry creates stress. Stress breaks down the physiology, for example. So some of the things here is if we can get rid of these wrong thinking, if we can get rid of bad relationships, we'll give our bodies a chance to heal themselves, for example. But it also says the prayer of faith will make them whole. Now, we have seen multiple ways in our body where, people, where God has made people whole. We've seen people who have died, but they died in such a way that you say, well, the Lord really blessed them. We have also seen people that were going to die, that God did a miracle, and they didn't die yet. And we've seen that many times. And God still works. He still heals people, but everybody still dies, right? Paul had such healing powers. Was it him or Peter? If you got in the shadow, it would, uh, it would be healed. That was Peter. But Paul still, if they would touch people, I mean, he had tremendous healing gift. And then later in his ministry, he says, hey, I've got this thorn in the flesh. I've prayed three times fervently, just like Elijah. I prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh would be delivered. And God made me whole. How did God make him whole? He told him, my strength is perfected in weakness. He made him whole with giving him understanding, not by healing his thorn in the flesh. Isn't that interesting? So there's multiple ways to be made whole. One of the things I don't think I do is pray for people's sins to be overcome as much. That's something that really uh, strikes me. I don't really understand how that works. Maybe some of you who have thought about that can, can give me some direction. How does that work? How do sins, sins be forgiven? Maybe what that is is that there's this uh, tendency of us to hold grudges with one another. If, let's just think we had a whole body who's praying for each other's faults and weaknesses. It would be hard for there to be grudges and grumbling and blaming and condemning if everybody would do, was doing that, wouldn't it? I have a cousin who's a minister, and he went down to South America. He was a musician in a Christian band of some kind. And a guy came up to him and said, i got a prophetic word for you. Your dad or your granddad or someone in your family has prayed for you, and the Lord's hand is on you. You're going to minister to people. He's like, well, that's weird. And so we were talking to him. My brother and I were talking to him at a family reunion. He told us that, and we said, well, that was your granddad. He said, it was? I said, yeah. And we started telling about our granddad. How he, was, he would get on his knees, and my, my cousin who would go and spend the night with him pretty often said, it, we would get down on his knees. It seemed like he was down there forever. Because he was such a godly man, he prayed for his family. He said, well, yeah, that was, that was uh, your grandfather. And he said, no way. Well, those prayers had passed down, obviously. This package of how we deal with one another, it's a huge thing. And now let's finish with condemnation. Can a believer be condemned? Well, this word condemnation, unfortunately, is typically dealt with the same way save and justify is. you got to know... Who's condemning what to who and what circumstance? Okay? Are we living in a condemned world? What is it condemned to? Destruction by fire, right? It's already been destroyed by water once. And next it's going to be destroyed by fire. So the question is not, can a believer be condemned? Can a believer be condemned in the presence of God for the sins they've committed? No. Why not? Because they've already been paid for Which sins have been nailed to the cross? All of them, right? So we can't be condemned for that. And everybody focuses in on that one kind of condemnation and says, well, we can't be condemned. That is correct. We cannot be condemned in the presence of God to be excluded from his family. We cannot be condemned for that. But man, look, there's condemnation in the world all over. And if we want to be a rich person who abuses our authority 
who abuses our privilege, who spends it all on our own comfort and doesn't do anything to, uh, to help others, and even who makes ourselves not enjoy the gift that God gave us, we're condemning ourselves. We put ourselves under condemnation when we did that. If we condemn others, we're condemning ourselves. Let me just show you a couple. I've got a time for a couple of things here. I could do a whole uh, session just on this. Look at Matthew 12:41. Really fascinating. Jesus speaking. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Well, that sounds like there's going to be a court case, doesn't it? How did this generation do? Well, I call as witness the people of Nineveh. People of Nineveh, who spoke to you? Jonah. What did you do? I repented. And now I call this generation of, of Israelites. Who spoke to you? The Son of God. What did you do? We killed him. Well, the jury's not going to have a hard time figuring that one out, if there is one, right? The fact that someone lives a righteous life in and of itself condemns someone who doesn't. Now, you've all experienced this yourself, haven't you? If you're doing the right thing and you're in a group of people that do the wrong thing, they condemn you for it, don't they? Why? You're making them feel bad. And if they can recruit you into their guilt, they'll feel better. You've all experienced that, haven't you? Well, not only that, verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So, hey, you know, we all have our works judged, and we cannot be condemned in the presence of God, but what we do can. Wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. It's all going to go in the fire. I would say it would be an appropriate description to say that if we have wood, hay, and stubble, put it in the fire and it's burned up, that that those works will be condemned. But who condemned it? We did. By, by our choices. By who we trusted. By the perspective we chose to have. Now versus later. Trust me versus trust God. Does God really have my best interest at heart? Well, he must not in this particular circumstance, right? Everything else he does, but I've got I to handle this one on my own. Well, you know, that's not going to go over well. And there's a consequence to that. But it's all avoidable. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. So to the extent we've done wrong things in the past, we can put those behind us. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that cool? So, summary of James. It's about winning at life through walking in the wisdom of God, walking in faith. And it's about making choices to trust God, to have the perspective that God's given us, and then to do the things that God has asked us to do, realizing and knowing that that's actually in our best interest. It won't always feel that way. But when we do those things, not only is there an immediate blessing, there's an eternal blessing. And these things compound and go on and on forever. So, James, thanks God for this book. Thank you for your giving us this perspective that, we, that we don't, we're not just on a position where we have to learn it on our own, where we're, we're just at the, at the uh, mercy of the winds blowing. But we can have roots in this amazing wisdom that you've given us in this book. 
We know you're the Lord of the army, the commander-in-chief, and the judge that's standing at the door. And we thank you that you're going to make all things right. But we also know that you are merciful, and you have our best interest at heart. And you have our best interest just like you had for Job. And you have compassion on us. And we thank you so much that you have our best interest at heart. I pray that you'll help us serve one another, pray for one another, confess with one another, and have an amazing unity in our, in our body that we might be an example. And to the extent people don't like that example because it makes them feel bad, I pray that we would just continue on anyway and serve those people as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our series on the book of James. Success in life is about balancing a true perception with an active life of service. We will face trials of all kinds. Every day is an opportunity to exercise our faith, to learn and grow, and to participate more fully in the kingdom of God. Join us as we continue to pursue the truth of God's word in our next series, Life as an Epic Journey. For more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, please visit our website, yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net.